And welcome back to the All the High podcast. This is part two of this off-season series. If you haven't already listened to part one, go take a listen. We focus entirely on the draft in part one, so go check that episode out. For part two, Nathan Grubel of the Draft Deeper podcast is back to talk about some more interesting moves that have happened during this year's free agency. Nathan, as always, thank you for being here. It's great to have you on. Yes, sir. We we did the draft in part one, and now we're hopefully we're we're talking about some interesting moves here in, in free agency and some trades in in part two. Certainly, we we kicked off things in the NBA offseason before summer league in the best way. Absolutely. For those of you listening, rather than bore you with a long intro, if you don't know who Nathan Grubel is by now, you're sleeping. Wake up. Go check out his work. For us, this will be a back-to-back episode, and hopefully it will be for you guys as well. We're going to be focusing on the bigger moves that happen, the more important signings. Yes, a lot of teams made moves, but realistically speaking, not a lot of them are going to be something that needs to be covered in great detail. Despite a lack of stars on the market, the 2021 NBA free agency had a ton of movement and a number of interesting trades. We'll start with the biggest trade that happened on draft night. The Washington Wizards sent Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers in exchange for Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and the number 22 overall pick in the 2021 draft. What were your initial reactions to this blockbuster trade, Nathan? So I understand where the Lakers are going with it. And I do like it from their standpoint. I think on the Washington side of things, it's sort of let's just try and get as many quote unquote quality players around Bradley Beal as possible and let us remain afloat and remain competitive while we kind of see where his mind's at. It would exactly what is he content with? Is he content with just making the play in tournament and making the playoffs in the East? If right. he wants to win more than that, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to happen here. So maybe he does go to the team and ultimately request a trade, but at the very least you have to get the right depth and at least the right amount of pieces around Bradley Beal to take advantage of his strengths, but also just give that chance and ability with veterans, not relying too much on the young guys to go out there and win games and create that sort of environment for Brad to be in. So I understand it from that side as well. As for the Lakers, the real meat and potatoes, of the trade. They get their big three. They get the third guy to go with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Russell Westbrook's going to be able to come in, spell either one of those guys or both of them on some nights, take the brunt of the minutes, and he's going to be able to win you some basketball games. And that at the end of the day is really what the Lakers were looking for and what they lacked last year when LeBron James was off the floor, even when Anthony Davis was on the floor at times, or, or at, at some point it was the both of them off the floor at different points throughout the season. And then like that, that last third of the year, I mean, that that team was awful without either both of those guys on the floor or, or at some points they were still awful with even just one of them on the floor. Like right. unless LeBron James played, unless he was initiating the offense, Dennis Schroeder kind of kind of wet the bed on that one. <laughs> he didn't he didn't perform <laughs> up to his standards in terms of making plays for others. But Russell Westbrook, despite some of the shooting concerns you might have with him, despite some of the, the play style concerns you might have. 
He's one of the best passers we have in the NBA. He's one of the best assist men. He's going to be able to get guys open shots and take the brunt of initiating the offense away from LeBron James. Maybe let him experiment a little more off the ball. He's gotten a lot more comfortable later in his career from catch and shoot scenarios. Get him in the post a little bit. Just yeah. allow him to do some different things without having to always bring the ball up the floor every single possession. Put the ball in Russ's hands a little bit. Let him cook a little bit. And I think when you get to the playoffs, if there's anyone who can convince Russell Westbrook to try other things on the basketball court than what he's done for years, it's LeBron James. Um, he will be a whisper to Russ in that sense. I firmly believe that. I, I said that on, on another podcast. I, I firmly believe in LeBron's ability to coach Russ up, be a friend, be a, be a somewhat of a mentor to him, even though they're, they're not too far apart in age. But I think that LeBron will will put his arm around Russ's shoulder and and lead him to greener pastures and and give him the freedom and instill some of the confidence in him to to maybe experiment with his game a little bit as well. Yeah, my initial thought about this trade was how packed the paint was going to be with those three guys. Obviously, this was before the Lakers made the rest of the flurry of moves and filled out the roster, but. You mentioned the concern being shooting. Westbrook isn't a good shooter, of course, 30% from three. Neither is LeBron, 36% last season, which is okay. And Anthony Davis is decent. However, he shot just 26% in the games he played last year, which meant that they would have some sort of spacing issues. And I'm not saying that to be a hater or find something wrong with the Lakers at all, but that's just what the numbers say. If you look at all three of the Lakers' main guys, their shot chart shows a heavy reliance on getting to the rim. I talked to another friend of the show that a lineup like this would work best when you have shooters around guys like Westbrook and LeBron. Why? Because they both thrive on having the ball in their hands and being able to find shooters and make decisions. Westbrook isn't going to be moving off the ball to try and find spaces between the defense because that's not his game. After he makes a pass, sometimes he tends to just stay put or give maybe another guy a little bit of room to operate. With all that being said, I do think there's a good chance it could work. Like you mentioned, it takes some pressure off of LeBron with ball handling, and you can always stagger those minutes between him and Russ. Yep. I don't know what a closing lineup will look like, but that's also something to think about as well. Now let's look at the rest of the signings that the Lakers added to the roster. They add Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn and Dwight Howard that is a lot of veterans that address a lot of their needs what did you think about the rest of these signings oh, I, I loved it I, yeah, I, I love the approach absolutely. that they took to to the rest of free agency they made the most out of what they had being able to convince guys like Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk to come in on those cheap deals to to give them some youth along with Taylor Horton Tucker was certainly a positive but even the veterans that they brought in they can shoot the basketball. They can play defense to an extent. They're veterans. They've been there before. And Trevor Ariza and Dwight Howard's case, they've literally been there before. <laughs> yeah. So they, yeah, they're, they're very too. familiar. Yeah. And, and but yeah, they're very familiar with the Los Angeles Lakers organization, their brand, what it means to play winning basketball in that uniform. So from a chemistry standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, at the end of the day, you win in the NBA with old guys. Right. Regardless of what anybody tries to tell you, that's how you win big games. Absolutely. LeBron James knows that. Him and Rob Polinka did an excellent job assembling the rest of this roster. And the Lakers will be very competitive next year. They'll be in position to potentially go back 
to the NBA finals, which is what a lot of people are hoping for, because then it sets up in, in hopes the, the potentially amazing finals matchup between the Lakers and the Nets. I think that's what everybody wants to see. So yeah, I think the Lakers absolutely made the most of what they possibly could have. And a lot of those guys are going to contribute not in big ways, but again, you don't need every one of those guys to contribute in a big way Absolutely. when you have LeBron, AD, and Russ, as long as all three guys is, are, are healthy. To me, it, it really is the health that's going to yeah. determine whether they make the finals or, or they miss out and they lose again um, in, in an earlier round of the playoffs. Yeah, you address the needs for shooters with Bazemore, Ellington, and Ariza to a reliable scoring option off of the bench in Mello a spark of youth with Malik Month and Kendrick Nunn who can play off ball and can shoot a bit too. The Dwight Howard signing is good too because that means you have Gasol, Howard, and Davis to play center. We know AD doesn't like to play a whole lot of minutes at center, but he's absolutely phenomenal when he does. And that has been sort of the Lakers' trump card, something that can they can go to that teams don't seem to have an answer for. Having those other vets means they can eat up some unwanted minutes and they can preserve AD at the five for the more important games. But I totally agree in an entirety. I think they did a fantastic job. Like you said, health is my main concern as well. And just their ability to stay on the court. If they can, they should absolutely be the favorites to come out of the West, in my opinion. Moving on to another team that upgraded a ton from last season, the Chicago Bulls. They essentially turn Thaddeus Young, Alfred Aminu, Thomas Sadaransky, and Garrett Temple into Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, and Tony Bradley. Those are significant upgrades from what they had last season. Undoubtedly, probably the best team they've had since that Derrick Rose, Jackie Noah, and Luol Dang team. Obviously on paper because we haven't seen them yet. But what did you think about these moves? I like them, but I do have some concerns. But I'd like to get your thoughts on the trade and the signings that the Bulls made. I love the moves. Um, and obviously I think all of the concerns you and I would both agree on would be on the defensive side of the basketball. I have no right. idea what this team's going to look like defensively, but last year, I think they already told us in making that deal for Vooch that this team was going to go all in on offense. They mm -hmm. weren't necessarily going to be concerned with how much defense they were going to be playing, but they were going to try to outscore everyone between Levine Vooch, and then getting other offensive con contributions from some of the other guys like a Kobe white, hopefully Pat Williams develops, et cetera. But um, clearly that experiment did not work out really well. You can't, outscore an opposing team like Brooklyn, for example, who has three of the best scorers in the league when right. you're trying to match up with just Levine and Vooch. If you're really going to play to that style, you need more firepower and you got it in Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan. Lonzo Ball has improved leaps and bounds as a catch and shoot guy from three-point range. Obviously, he's going to be another beast with Levine in transition, pushing the tempo, getting that team to play at a greater pace. And everyone wants to say about, well, well, Vooch doesn't necessarily move in transition, but he's going to be a trailer big. He's gotten yeah. much better shooting for three at the top of the key. He's going to have a lot of those trailer shots wide open, be able to step into the looks pretty easy. So I like that. And then you get to Marge Rosen. The biggest thing the Chicago Bulls have been missing, and obviously Lonzo Ball will get plenty of his reps at, at point guard and be a primary initiator in, in different lineups with that team. But I think DeMar DeRozan is really going to be the lead ball handler for this squad, and rightfully so, because the Chicago Bulls have lacked 
a proper pick and roll playmaking option for years. Kobe White was not that has not been that guy. I don't think he necessarily is that guy. Tomas Sadoransky has not been that guy. Zach Levine can do some things in terms of making plays for others, but he's not an adept pick and roll playmaker, maybe scoring out of those situations. He's gotten a lot better, but not necessarily playmaking out of those spots. Now you bring in DeMar DeRozan, who last year did playmake out of pick and roll scenarios very well. He was in the 91st percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. And even when he got defenders on an island, he was in the 83rd percentile in isolations, including passes. And obviously scoring out of those play types, he was in the 84th percentile scoring out of pick and roll sets as the ball handler and in the 96th percentile scoring out of isolation sets. So the Bulls have not had an offensive player like that quite like that in, in quite some time. Zach Levine is much better when he can have some off-ball freedom as well, moving without the basketball, catch-and-shoot looks, being able to spot up. That's really where he's a lot more comfortable. You take some of that offensive burden in terms of initiating off of him and, and DeRozan and Lonzo Ball. And now you have, especially if Pat Williams – takes another step forward and shows more of the flashes that we saw from him last year. He already started to do that in summer league today. He was getting some really nice mid-range looks to fall. But yeah, now you're talking about a much more complete offensive team and one that even if the defense isn't quite there every single night, they'll be able to pour in enough points on a nightly basis to I really think contend for one of the top four, top five seeds in the Eastern Conference. There is a chance that this team could end up as high as four or five, like you said, but I also see a scenario where they're still fighting for that playing spot. That mm-hmm. range for this team is, I think, so big because, like I said, a solid team on paper, but the issues that they do have are on the defensive end. Their starting lineup would be Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, and Nikola Vucevic. When I hear that starting five, I hear instant offense. I hear a team that's going to like to get after it in transition and potentially be heavy on the isolation scoring situations. Like you mentioned, Lonzo is a solid defender, but he's not a ball stopper. I'm going to clamp you up defender by any means. Caruso adds some defensive identity and versatility to that second unit. And we know he's capable of playing big games and closing games as well. DeRozan is, and has been a very poor defender and he's not, a plus shooter aside from, of course, that patent mid-range game that he has. He does bring passing. He led the Spurs in assists last season and shot creation of well as well. But the Bulls decided that he was worth $85 million over three seasons. I, I don't like counting guys' money by any means because it's always, you know, go get the bag. But at the same time, I'm not sure that that was the smartest thing to do for Chicago. On a positive note, Zach Levine can look at this team And I don't think he can say that the front office didn't try to make this team better because they were aggressive. They did get deals done. Will it pan out? Will they make the playoffs? I don't know. But the team certainly has the talent to do so. Next up in the winner's column, I think we absolutely have to talk about the Miami Heat. They win the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes. They add a proven defensive veteran in P.J. Tucker. And they also add a sneaky good signing in Markeith Morris. They also extend Jimmy Butler to a huge contract. They pay Duncan Robinson, rightfully so. And they bring Victor Oladipo in, who if health is on his side, he can be a productive player and an X factor for this team. What did you think about the Miami Heat and what they did with these moves? Obviously, nothing short of excellence. And it's not just because 
they got Kyle Lowry. It was some of the moves that you mentioned, the forward spot, PJ Tucker and Marquise Morris. They that's really something that they lacked last year. They they missed Jay Crowder. You've heard all the big talk shows mention that point. Zach right. Zach Lowe hit that point pretty hard, but it's true. They didn't have somebody like that to step in. And now, even though PJ Tucker wasn't lighting the world on fire in the playoffs for the Bucks. When, when you got later into some of those series, he's still a guy who is an enforcer. He brings the right attitude to the team. He's going to rack up uh, a, a ton of fouls on the other team. He's going to play physical defense. He's going to make them not want to come in the paint. And then Morris is also a reliable option to go to when PJ Tucker isn't on the floor. Obviously a three point catch and shoot threat can do a few things for you off the dribble. Not the greatest defender, but he, he, he can play within team concepts um, right. and he's a smart player. So in, in those aspects, Obviously, job well done. Kyle Lowry, again, more of that toughness, more of that leadership. He still has enough in the tank to provide you um, catch-and-shoot ability. He can make some plays for others out of pick-and-roll. He'd be a really good pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop partner with Bam as well. And you you obviously see Jimmy with the ball in his hands plenty. But just, just giving Jimmy another player that he can look down the court, and he knows that if I give the ball to Kyle Lowry, chances are if he's open, he's going to hit that shot. Right. Just having another one of those veterans in the lineup not having to always look the way of some of those young shooters like a Kendrick Nunn, like a Tyler Hero that they had, for example, they still have Hero, but he's going to now primarily be a guy off the bench. Duncan Robinson's played really well for them in different stretches, but just another guy in there that Jimmy and Bam know can hit a good shot. And then you still have Victor Oladipo on, on a minimum deal. And if he is anything close to, and I mean anything, like if he's like 50 to 60% of what he used to be, that's right. still a pretty decent backup guard and somebody who can split playmaking duties with hero coming off the bench. And he can still impact that offense for that second unit in a bunch of different ways. So yeah, I really like overall what Miami did. They're now a much more complete team than they were last year. And they're going to be right there in terms of like the top three or four teams in the Eastern conference as well, jockeying for, for one of those spots. That brings up my next question. Do you think this moves them into that? Brooklyn Milwaukee tier or do you think there's still more of that middle of the pack but teams not, might not want to see them in the playoffs right away I think they're they're in a tier that's right below those two right, so absolutely. I think they're actually I think they're actually in their own tier gotcha. to be honest I think Philly Boston um, Chicago New York Atlanta I think they're gonna be behind Miami so I'd actually put Miami in like a second tier if we're really gonna tear out the east yeah, I think Lowry is probably the best point guard the Heat have had on the roster in quite a while. Like you mentioned, he has the ability to shoot, pass, and defend. He can take some workload off of Jimmy Butler. Not to mention, he's a tremendous leader on the court and in the locker room. P.J. Tucker can slide into playing alongside Bam. They signed Markeith Morris to that one-year deal, only $2.6 million. A steal, in my opinion. He'll provide some minutes at that power forward position. He can also come off the bench, and he's a career 34% three-point shooter, which will be valuable for a team that needed some extra shooting. Like you said, will they be as good as Milwaukee or Brooklyn? Maybe, probably not. However, it does put them in a way better position to compete in the Eastern Conference, especially considering that a lot of teams got better. So the fact that they made these moves will definitely help their chances of moving up in the seedings. Now that we've talked about the teams that made significant upgrades to their teams, let's talk about those that stayed the same or simply got worse. The Portland Trailblazers did nothing to convince Damian Lillard he should stay on the team and not request a trade. Will he? 
who knows? But I don't like the moves they made, and I think they were underwhelming to say the least. They re-signed Norman Powell, which is probably one of their biggest priorities. However, they did trade Gary Trent for him because they didn't want to pay Gary Trent, and they ended up paying Powell way more. They only bring in Cody Zeller and Tony Snell as their other free agent signings season. What are your thoughts? Well, they, they yeah, they did get better. Um, those moves are, are not going to, to move anyone for, for lack of better wording. But even in the draft, they didn't necessarily take any kind of interesting second-round flyer. They, they took Greg Brown, but I'll be shocked if Greg Brown helps an NBA team quicker than three to four years down the road. So you're, you're talking about him as, as a major stash guy, um, Portland. I, I don't think they even have their own G league team. So like, where, where is he really going to develop? How is he going to get reps right. um, to, to get better as a basketball player? So between the, the free agency strikeouts, like you mentioned, Brian, and then also not bringing in more of an immediate uh, contributor from the draft either. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I don't know what, I don't know what Portland's doing. I don't know where they're going. A core of Lillard McCollum, um, Norman Powell and, and, and Yusuf Nurkic that's and Covington, like that's a decent lineup that can win you games in the Western conference and get you to like a, like a sixth seed or a seventh seed, but that's not going to win you a championship. And Damian Lillard, rightfully so, he probably hasn't been convinced that he can win a championship in Portland. I know that he he wants to believe that in his heart, but sometimes, sometimes you just have to move on. And I think that he ultimately will. And when he does ask out, I, I, again, I, I, I'm a firm believer. I know Henry Abbott was called out by Dame <laughs> on, on Twitter but I'm a firm believer in the work that Henry, Coach David Thorpe, Gerard Hector, all those guys do over at True Hoop. If any of your listeners don't subscribe to any of their stuff, they absolutely should because that's incredible content great, yeah. over there. Um, but yeah, I firmly believe, Henry, that Dame will ask out. And yeah, then it's going to be an arms race between Philly and, and the Knicks is, is what it seems like. So Portland right. probably shot themselves in the foot. And there's definitely another team that might have done the same thing. And I'm sure you're going to bring them up next. Yeah, to be honest, at this point, I would be absolutely shocked if Dame is on the Blazers by the trade deadline this season. He might start with them, but I don't think he finishes the season there. I don't know if this is a team that you were thinking of, but another team that appears to just be treading water at this point is the Boston Celtics. I don't know how much sense their moves really made. They traded Kemba Walker for Al Horford and Moses Brown, which I liked at the beginning, getting off Kemba's contract. He obviously wasn't fitting in with the team and not to mention kind of the severity of his knee injury that he has obviously caused some decline to his game. They then flipped Moses Brown for Josh Richardson and turned Tristan Thompson into Chris Dunn while letting Evan Fournier walk to the New York Knicks. Chris Dunn provides some extra perimeter defense, but that, that's about it. Same with Josh Richardson, who didn't have a particularly good season with the Mavericks. What did you think about the moves that they made? That wasn't the team that I was thinking of, but that's fine because I know I know for a fact you're going to hit on the team that I am thinking of. So no worries there. But yeah, Boston, listen, they they still need a, a really good point guard option next to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that have not addressed that need, whether that means they're going to get somebody like a Dennis Schroeder, whether they actually have that much confidence in somebody like a Peyton Pritchard. That, that much remains to be seen. I have no idea what they're doing at point guard. I have no idea really what they're doing at the center position. I guess um, I guess Time Lord 
is probably <laughs> going to be their answer, Mr. Robert Williams. But um, you, you've heard that. I mean, Zach Lowe's talked about him a bunch too, that he's just not a guy who's been able to put it together consistently for, for the Celtics quite yet in his career. So yeah, when, when you're talking about, you have Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but like, what else do you really have on that team? Romeo Langford, Aaron, Aaron Neesmith, like they're, they're, they're good young guys that continue developing, but I don't know how much they're going to contribute to, to winning from here on out. So I just, yeah, I just, I don't know how much better, if any better Boston's going to be. And there's just so much pressure now on Tatum and Brown to do the heavy lifting for that team until they can go out and really find a third guy, like what they thought that Kemba Walker was going to be, but because of his health, he, he wasn't that guy. Yeah, very underwhelming. They might have something else up their sleeve. But as of now, I think they're probably fighting for that play-in spot, which is crazy to say considering they are a team that's led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two of the game's best young stars. But I'd like to get your thoughts on the New Orleans Pelicans, who obviously were also underwhelming in the moves that they made. What did you think about not only the draft picks that they made, but also the free agent signings that they had as well? So I like the two draft picks that they made. Trey Murphy actually went bonkers today in, in, in their first summer league game. He had 26 points and nine rebounds. He literally started going off as soon as I flipped the TV over and I turned it on to the Sixers game because I'm a 76ers <laughs> fan first and foremost. So I'll have to definitely catch the film on that one. But I like him and, and Herb Jones as solid wing slash forward options that I think will be able to contribute to New Orleans and definitely at least some capacities right away next year. But other than that, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about role players at the end of the day and Trey Murphy may be a star in his role. And, and I like that. And I like the character and some of the things he's going to bring to the locker room. But when you're talking about Zion Williamson's camp, apparently wants to put the pressure on for New Orleans to win big and win now, just him and Brandon Ingram aren't going to get it done. And you don't replace Lonzo Ball with with who I thought could be um, a really, really quality option at that point guard spot. Devontae Graham is fine, but he had some, some, some pretty big shooting slumps at different points throughout last year. We don't know if he's definitely as good of the player that he, he was and, and is going to be as good of a player as he was during that most improved campaign. Uh, well, that has yet to be seen. They haven't necessarily addressed the shooting guard spot either. It's going to be a mix. If Josh Hart is able to be brought back and then the Keel Alexander Walker, I like the both of them, but they're probably not the, the level of caliber backcourt player that they were ultimately looking to add. They were looking at Kyle Lowry. They lost out on somebody like him. They, they did not be able they did not bring in DeMar DeRozan. And then you bring in Valanciunas as part of that Memphis deal. Right. But he, he can pour in buckets on, on the offensive end, was an unsung hero for that Memphis Grizzlies team. But this is a New Orleans Pelicans team that was abysmal at times defensively, and he's going to do ver- close to nothing <laughs> yeah. to help that team defensively. So I just – I do not know the direction that New Orleans was going. It's it's like it, – it's funny because we saw some other teams tread water pretty well, like, like a Dallas Mavericks, for example – Right. Um, the New York Knicks in, in different ways treaded water pretty well and, and, and held patch just because they couldn't get any big free agents this offseason. They didn't necessarily do anything um, either that stupid or they let talent potentially walk away like New Orleans did. New Orleans, along with Portland, to me, were two of the biggest losers in the offseason. Yeah, the Pelicans chose not to re-sign Lonzo Ball and essentially got pennies on the dollar in return for him. 
that yep. obviously isn't going to make Zion Williamson very happy when he was a huge advocate for wanting to bring Lonzo back. Um, I do understand why they bring in Valanchunas and they get off a couple of expensive contracts to free up maybe some future flexibility, but really the new head coach, Willie Green is absolutely going to have his work cut out for him this season. And I don't know if playoff expectations are even realistic at this point. Like they might be fighting for that 10th seed in the West, that final playing spot. And even as good as Zion and Brandon Ingram might play, it still might not be enough. No, I agree. I agree with you completely. It's, it's, it's not going to be enough (laughs) in a loaded Western conference. Like, I know Zion and, and B.I. Are, are, are good talents in themselves, but, like, Brian, do you really think that team's going to be in the play-in tournament in, in the West? Like, can we guarantee something like that? No. I know that the East is probably deeper at this point than, than the West is now, which is it's crazy to say the Eastern Conference may now actually be the better conference. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't think it's a guarantee that that, that team is, is one of the 10 best in, in the West. And, and, and that's a problem because, as you mentioned, another head coach, third head coach in three years for Zion. Um, but, yeah, just so much pressure on the shoulders of Zion to really carry that team in, in ways that we, we can't necessarily ask him to carry that team. And, and he's still on a rookie contract himself. It's not like he's the superstar being paid superstar money. He's right. had like six or seven years under his belt in the league. So it's a lot to ask. And, and yeah, this, this New Orleans situation is going to be fascinating to watch over the next few years. I absolutely agree. To finish off our free agency episode, Two teams that sneakily got better. No big moves made, but the guys that they did bring in, I think definitely fit their system and the way they want to play. And those two teams are the Brooklyn Nets and the Golden State Warriors. The Nets bring in a target for many other teams this offseason, veteran guard Patty Mills, who should fit in absolutely perfectly off the bench and also as a spot starter obviously because of injury issues that might arise or whatever else happens in Brooklyn at times with Kyrie Irving not wanting to play or James Harden or whatever. For those of you who don't know, go check out some Patty Mills Australia highlights. The dude is an absolute bucket. But what did you think of what the Nets did this offseason? Yeah, I mean, they they did exactly what they should do, which is allow the rich to keep getting richer. The, the, right. A lot of the draft picks that they made, a lot of the young talent that they may have on the roster next year, while close to none of them may actually be contributing next year, they're still really good pieces to have to develop in the long term. You mentioned the Patty Mills signing. Consider me no, no bigger of a fan. Than the, <laughs> no one else Patty no bigger of a fan than <laughs> Patty Mills. Yeah, I, I freaking love Patty Mills. Um, so he's the type of player that they were definitely looking for to continue to add to that team. I mean, if you have a, if you have a lineup, you want to go really small, have like Kyrie Irving, Patty Mills, James Harden, Kevin Durant, name your fifth player, like the shooting that's in that lineup is yeah. absolutely absurd. You so can yeah, insert for- Steve Nash in there and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so Brooklyn, Listen, we already know how good they're going to be, but they they did nothing to take away from any of the potential greatness that they may actually have this year. So I I agree with you. I I like what Brooklyn did. And then you you mentioned Golden State as well. It's funny. Kevin O'Connor thinks that Golden State is is right back in championship contention. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I do like them bringing back Iguodala. 
We talked about some of the draft picks they made. They might not be immediate contributors, but maybe two years down the road, Steph, Steph signed that contract. He's going to be in Golden State for the long term. So even just two years down the road, if those two rookies and Wiseman pan out to be contributors for a team, now you're talking about three guys along with um, Steph, Clay, whatever happens to Draymond. Like, like the Warriors are going to be just fine. They're going to be competitive. Jordan Poole is, is definitely going to be a breakout guy. He, he's absolutely going to be in the lineup for them. Um, even somebody like a Ja'Cory McLaughlin, I would not be surprised if he ends up finding a way to contribute to this Golden State Warriors team this year. Some way somehow i loved his game thought he was definitely a value pick somebody who was worthy of a second rounder they bring him in um, as an undrafted free agent but yeah golden state was just smart they didn't do anything crazy they didn't make any um, huge buys that they maybe could have but they didn't mortgage too many assets they stood pat and Again, I don't know if they're definitely going to be championship contenders this year, but they're definitely going to be in the thick of that West race, particularly with um, Jamal Murray being out for the Denver Nuggets. Um, Portland not getting any better. New Orleans taking a step back, obviously. Golden State will be right there in the top five, top six in the West. Yeah, the Nets added those solid, versatile veterans, a couple of promising rookies like Cam Thomas. They fill out their bench. They re-signed Blake. Of course, they already have the trio of KD, James Harden, and Kyrie. Now they have a year of experience together under the belt. The Nets, I think, are undoubtedly the favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference next year. The Warriors, they bring in Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bialica, and of course, fan favorite Andre Godala. And not to mention all on veteran, veteran minimum deals yep. really fit well into the system that Steve Kerr likes to play. And they replaced the guys that didn't fit as much or didn't have the IQ to really play in this type of style. I, I wanted to let you talk about Otto Porter because I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not fully sold on on that one. I know I know um, Kevin O'Connor's running mate, uh, Chris Vernon, got a little extreme on, on their podcast when he said that Otto Porter stinks and maybe that sentiment was echoed by some of the executives around the league. <laughs> I don't know if he stinks, yeah, he definitely I don't know how much team. value he's going to bring um, to that Warriors team ultimately, but um, the, the Bielitsa move is, is pretty nice. He'll be able to, at the very least, offer a, another bigger body on that roster and be able to stretch the floor. But I, I, I'll let you get your thoughts in about Porter. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I think for me, Porter Jr. is one of those players that if he can stay healthy, he provides enough of what the Warriors might need, another veteran, He's 6'9". He's a bigger player. He can guard some of the bigger players in the Western Conference. And he's a knockdown shooter. And that's really all Steph Curry really needed last year, which he didn't have. He didn't have more weapons on the wings. He didn't have guys that can knock down shots. My main concern with him is the fact that he's played maybe a combined 30 games in the last two years. He can play a good significant chunk of the season. I think he's going to be doing enough for the Warriors. We don't need him to do all that much considering later on in the season, we're going to get clay back. Otto Porter can do some of the defensive um, assignments for the bigger players. Like I mentioned, you also have Andrew Wiggins, who's probably going to take on the smaller guards that clay would usually guard move that I liked the best was obviously Andre Godala. He's a fan favorite. He's great yep. in the locker room. We're only probably maybe going to see him 15 to 20 minutes Maybe we'll see him in a closing lineup to finish certain games just because he knows um, the core trio so well. He knows the system so well, so obviously he's going to fit in. But Nemanja Bialica, 6'10", he's like a 38% career three-point shooter. We can play small ball center with him. 
and Draymond. And then we have basically play four outs when we need a lot of shooting on the perimeter with Draymond distributing. So I think those are all pretty good signings. Realistically speaking, they needed another shot creator, someone that could back up Steph. Um, they do have Jordan Poole, but I would have loved for them to get someone like Patty Mills. Supposedly, they were in the running along with the Lakers and the Nets to get his services. They didn't end up getting him. I don't know if they're going to use the taxpayer mid-level exception. Um, obviously, that adds a lot of money onto an already enormous tax bill that they have. So I wouldn't be surprised if they don't use it. But essentially, they bring in veterans. They have the rookies that can they can still develop that don't necessarily need to come in right away. But all in all, I, I can't be mad about it. Like you said, they didn't do anything drastically crazy. They didn't throw all their assets away to get someone like a Ben Simmons or even a Pascal Siakam, um, even though there's rumors about that going on right now. But I think, like I said, as realistically as it could have gone, I think they did well with what they, what they had available to them. No, agreed 100%, Brian. I, I certainly echo your sentiments on that one. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess there's been rumors about Dennis Schroeder possibly being involved in like a sign and trade type of deal. But if for whatever reason, nobody wants to take on his contract with more money on it, maybe if Golden State could convince him to come in on that taxpayers mid-level exception, would Dennis Schroeder kind of be that point guard you, you, you might look to a little bit? How, how would you like that fit? I think that would be some good value for that taxpayer mid-level exception. Um, based on the guys that are left to be signed, I think he might be the best. And obviously he'd be basically kind of a six man, maybe not even a six man. Cause probably Jordan Poole is going to be playing a little bit more than him. He's um, one of your eight or nine guys. Yeah, exactly. Right. And Dennis Schroeder as an eighth or ninth guy on a team. I, I like that. You know, I don't, necessarily want him to be playing 35 to 40 minutes a game <laughs> but if for some reason he's cooking let him in you know let him do his thing he can create his own shot he can be pesky on the defensive end so yeah if, if he wants to kind of upgrade his trade value for next season or you know get a bigger contract next season he should have never turned down that four-year 80 million extension the lakers gave him um or wanted to give him but yeah if he wants to you know, come to the Warriors, take that taxpayer mid-level exception and kind of just try to show out as that six man he's always usually been, I, I would be 100% for that. Definitely, definitely, Brian. And also, if they, at some point in the midseason, they're not where they want to be, they still have all of these assets and matching salary to pull off another big trade if they so wish to go that route and if any of the stars do become available later on in the year as well. Absolutely. Well, Nathan, I think that'll do it for part two of this offseason series. Thank you all for tuning in once again. Nathan, thank you so much for hopping on. Before we take off, is there anything you'd like to plug for the listeners? Anything you have coming up in the future to keep an eye out for? Definitely subscribe to the podcast feed. You can find the Draft Deeper podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get it. Stay tuned to the feed. We're going to be doing plenty of content that we're recording out in Las Vegas. I'll be out at Summer League from the 12th to the 16th. 
And then we'll, we'll keep the podcast definitely rolling after that. Plenty of draft grades to still give out. Maybe, maybe I make a few amendments to some of those grades that I even gave on your show, Brian, <laughs> but the listeners will have to, to stay tuned to find that out. But, and, and then you said it, 2022 is right around the corner. September is when I really start digging into some of that prep as well. There'll be plenty of content for that, the upcoming NBA season. So just stay tuned. I said to everyone, I was going to take a little bit of a break, but it's, it's, it's a little break. It's never a long break. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back my friend, but I was, I was appreciative of you having me on um, for, for you holding me in such high regard as well as your network, Brian. Um, seriously, thank you to all you guys for all the support you always show me. And I will most certainly be back on your show. I'll, I'll have a little more pep in my step when I come back. I promise, man. Hey, absolutely, man. Like I said, you're always welcome on the show. I love having you on. You guys know what to do. Be on the lookout for Nathan's podcast articles and so much more over at the Draft Deeper podcast. Follow him on social media to keep up with all his incredible content relating to the draft and the NBA at large. Check out the Off the Ball Network. That turns one today for all your sports needs. We have the best content out there, so please check us out and support. Please keep supporting the All the Hype podcast. Listen, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Listen and follow on Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at all the hype pod. That's all the hype pod. Thanks again, everyone. Talk to you all soon. Take care. Peace.